we continue to make our way through this account in Mark chapter 5 today, we're turning our attention to the response. What do, you, what do you do? How do you feel when Jesus casts the demons out of you? What do you do when you see Jesus do that for somebody else? We, we see, today we're invited to re- imagine the response and then take our response. How do we respond to Jesus when we see him do these kinds of things? Uh, the gospel from Mark chapter 5. Please stand out of respect and reverence for the word of Jesus. And because these are good words, after we hear this, we respond by saying thanks be to God. Mark chapter 5. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him but said, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So they went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, the ten cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you come to us today through your word and you speak to us. So let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts as we hear your words, let them all be pleasing in your sight, God. You alone are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over these last couple of weeks, I don't know how much time you've taken to try to imagine what it was like to be there. I, I don't know how much time you've taken to think about what would, what would it have been like to be a pig herder, to be the man, to be somebody in town to hear about this. We, we tend, when we come to stories like this, we, t- we tend to, at least this is, maybe this is my temptation, we tend to parse it, we tend to sentence diagram it, we tend to take it apart. And look at it bit by bit. We look at the trees and we miss the forest. And, and sometimes when we do that, we, we miss the, the narrative, the experience that Jesus wants us to have when we come in contact with the, the stories, the narratives of his life and works. So take a minute with me and just try to imagine what it was like. First, try to imagine what it was like to be this guy. Try to imagine what it was like. I know that we've already spent a significant amount of time talking about what, what he went through, the physical, the mental, the, the anguish that he felt, how, how socially this man who had a legion of demons in him was ostracized from society. He was living among the tombstones, sleeping in a grave, if he even slept. We've talked about the shame that he must surely must have felt, how he ran around naked without any clothes on how anguished he must have been to to have this this demon tension, this muscle tension so strong that he was breaking shackles from his wrists and chains from his feet, How, how he cut himself with stones, how he cried out day and night. We've thought a lot about how that must have hurt. But today we see something different, don't we? 
He's there sitting with Jesus, now dressed and in his right mind. No longer separated from society, now he is with society. No longer out of his mind, but now in his right mind. No longer out of control of his body and his voice, now in control. And no longer naked and running around in shame, now dressed, sitting with Jesus and in his right mind. What do you think that was like? I try to imagine. I try to imagine that, that maybe the, this demon tension that was so strong that it broke, ten, broke chains, I try to imagine that it was maybe like this guy went to, all of a sudden his muscles are totally relaxed, like he had gone to a spa for a couple of days on end and a couple of deep tissue massages so that he just kind of crumbled up on the floor like a pool of relaxation. <sighs> all of what bound him up, gone. No longer out of his mind. I wonder what it was like to have this internal dialogue. This dialogue between the, who he was as a human being and, and these demon, these legion of demon voices in his head who were controlling not just his thoughts but his actions too. How surely he must have said, I hate these things. You know how that is on a lower level, right? The thoughts that you have that you don't want to have, the feelings that you have that you don't want to have that you know are wrong, but you do the things that you do that you know are wrong, but you do them anyway, how you're, you feel like you're not in control, how you hate yourself because of that, all of a sudden it's gone. All of a sudden his body is a pool on the floor, his mind is at ease and in peace. He can think clearly again. And surely the shame that he felt because he was running around without clothes on, hearing the children laugh as he ran by. He's clothed now. Covered, his shame is covered like Adam and Eve were covered in the garden, not just physically but spiritually too because Jesus was not ashamed to be his Lord. That's the best part, isn't it? Sitting there with Jesus, dressed in his right mind, there must have been peace, joy, relief, that was his response. But the way that, that the townspeople and the pig herders responded was, was quite a bit different, wouldn't you say? They, they too, the, these pig herders, try to imagine what this was like for a pig herder as you're kind of watching this happen. Where were, they, where were the pig herders when all this happened? Did they hear Jesus? What did they say? This is what we know. When the pigs ran into the cliff, the pig herders ran into town to tell everybody what happened. What did they tell him? <laughs> That's what I want to know. What did they tell him? Did they tell him about what they heard the demon say to Jesus and what they heard Jesus say to the demon? Did, did, or did they just tell him about the pigs? Did they tell him about how Jesus had given this man peace? Or did they just tell him how they lost their job and how they lost their pigs? Were they worried about these floating pigs out into the Mediterranean Sea? Try to imagine that for a moment. 2,000 pigs floating out into the middle of this sea. Instead of life, there goes their bacon. But they run into town and they tell everybody what had happened and the whole town comes out and I wonder what that was like. I wonder what the people thought when the pig herder said, let me tell you what Jesus did. The pigs are in the sea and this guy is at his feet. These people knew, had known the man. 
Some of, them, some of them maybe had bruises internally or externally too from trying to restrain him. Some of them had been woken up at night because they heard his screams from afar. Some of, them, some of them maybe as they walked out to the edge of that cliff where Jesus and the man now were, maybe even had flashbacks to the moments when the demon-possessed man lunged at them, swung at them, hurt them. And now he's sitting there in front of Jesus, dressed in his right mind. What happened here? They asked. Jesus, they pointed. <laughs> he sent the demons and the pigs, and look, look out in the sea. Can you see them there? He did what? How? Why? How could he do that thing? You can, you can almost feel the, the anger and the fear rising up in their hearts as they, as they look at Jesus and they look at the man and they look at the pigs and they see all of this unfolding in front of them. These people were scared, Mark tells us. And they pleaded with Jesus. Can you sense the urgency in that? <laughs> Jesus, go away from us. It's such a strange response, don't you think? You'd, you'd think that the focal point, if there's a picture here, You'd think that the focal point of the picture would be Jesus and the man at peace. Surely they wanted that man to have peace, don't you think? Surely they wanted this man to be relieved. They had maybe even prayed long for that man, the demon-possessed man, to have peace, to be relieved of the demons, to be set free from their oppression and their possession. Surely they wanted that. But now that Jesus did it, they want Jesus, the one who gave that to the man, they want Jesus to go for them, perhaps the picture wasn't Jesus and the man, it was the pigs out to sea. Why did they want him to go? Could it be that they were just worried about their jobs and their life? After all, bacon and ribs were their, was their life and their livelihood. Remember, these are not Jews who, had, had a, who were not supposed to be anything with pigs. These were Gentiles. These were, these, were, these were outsiders. So pigs were just, it was not a religious problem for them. Could it be that they were just upset because their job was gone? Their income was lost? Their, their economy was tanking? Could it be simply that, Jesus, you ruined our life? Go, just Go. Or could it be that this is what happens a lot in the Bible, when you see the holiness and might and power of God, that's often a common response that you're scared. I mean, just think about some of the examples that you know. Isaiah, he saw these angels flying above with a chair, with, the, with the, the throne in between them, crying back and forth, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And Isaiah says, woe to me, I'm going to die. Ezekiel sees a similar vision and he thinks to himself, I'm going to die. In Revelation, this is at the end of the Bible, John sees a vision of Jesus with a sword coming out of his mouth and flaming eyes and he sees it and he falls on his face like he's dead. Or in a more real life thing, right? These are visions of Jesus, but Peter saw Jesus. He saw the glory peeking out from behind, behind his robes when they were fishing. Jesus told his disciples, throw the nets on the other side. And their nets were so full of fish that they, that they were tearing. 
Peter realized what had happened, he saw that it was Jesus in all His holiness and glory and might. And what did he say? Luke chapter 5, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Could it be that their sin in the presence of a holy God was more than they could handle? Or could it be that they were hardened to it? That's the other response. God showed His holiness and His power and His might to Pharaoh again and again and again in in the Exodus. And what did Pharaoh do? He hardened his heart. Jesus showed his power and his might and his miracles to the Pharisees, to so many people throughout his ministry, and so many of them hardened their hearts. Could it be that in the hardness of their hearts, this crowd didn't want what Jesus had to offer? No, thank you. I'm fine on my own. At the end of the day, we're we're kind of speculating a little bit, imagining a little bit what it was like. But I I think there's this much that we can say. Here's the thesis. Here's my sentence. Jesus is God with skin on. And these people, for whatever reason, we don't know exactly what the reason was. They wanted to keep him at arm's distance. They wanted to send him away. I, I say it this way because I want you to understand who Jesus is. Jesus is true God. We see that in the miracle. The demons rightly call him the son of the most high God. He is truly God. And behind the veil of the humanity of Jesus, behind the skin of Jesus, is God in the flesh. And this crowd, these people, for whatever reason, we don't know, they pushed him away and wanted to send them across the lake as far away from them as they could get. They didn't want him there anymore. Now, I want to make a turn with you and hopefully can draw you into the story a little bit more. I want to present, I want to take this thesis and build on it for your sake. And here's the first part of thesis number two. I'm sorry, this is like a classroom today. Here's, the, here's part one of thesis number two. The church is Jesus with skin on. Let me, let me back up and try to explain to you exactly what I'm getting at. I'm building on the first half of the first thesis. God, Jesus is God with skin on. Now I'm saying the church is Jesus with skin on. The church is, in its truest biblical sense, is not a building, nor is it an institution, but it is people. It is people who believe in Jesus. It's, it's you, and it's me. It's, it's all people of every, every denomination, every Christian denomination, every Christian group, every Christian church, anyone and everyone who believes in Jesus, that he is the Son of God and Son of Man, come to die for our sins. Those who believe those things are Christians, are the church. That's the church. We say that in the creed. I believe in the holy Christian church, the communion of saints. What we're talking about there is not the the brick and mortar, but the people who believe that Jesus is their Savior. And this is also what the Bible teaches us about the church. The church is the body of Christ. We are his hands. We are his feet. We are his mouthpiece. We are his eyes. We are his ears. 
right? Jesus said, we covered this a couple of weeks ago, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me, right? So, so together, I want you to look around, at least in your hearts, look around. I, you always get awkward when I make you look around at each other. But I want you to look around at each other and in your heart, say it, I'm going to make you do it out loud. Be awkward with me for a minute. Look around at each other and say, you are Jesus to me. Right? This is the church. Not just brothers and sisters in Christ, but representatives of Jesus. Through you, Jesus does his work for each other. Jesus says about me and anyone who brings you the word, this is Luke chapter 10, he says, whoever listens to you listens to me. Right? The church is Jesus with skin on. Right? We are the body of Christ. We are hands and feet and mouths and eyes and ears and so much more. 1 Corinthians 12, right? Look at it later. We are Jesus with skin on. Now, let me finish the thesis. The church is Jesus with skin on, but could it be, could it be that we try to keep Jesus at arm's distance? I know you're here this morning. You're like, but I'm with Jesus now. You, I just looked around at the people around me and said, you're Jesus to me. I'm with Jesus now. I'm listening to Jesus now. I'm saying all these things. But let me ask you this. Is it really you? Or did you come in here with a mask on? I went to pastor's conference this week. Um, it's in our, well, it wasn't pastor's conference, it was district conference where pastors and teachers and lay delegates and staff ministers, we all get together to learn about what's going on in our synod, um, to talk about what's going on there, to grow in our faith together. And as I was going, I was talking to one of my friends and I was saying, so what are these conversations going to be like when we get there? It'll go something like this. How are you? And they, these are classmates that, I, I have at least 10 classmates in our district I know them, I went to school with them, I slept in the dorms with them, all these things. How are you? And, and, and on your way there, you're thinking, at least I am, I'm thinking about the answers that I'm going to give them. Am I going to tell them how I really am? Or am I going to tell them how I kind of am? What am I going to tell them? Am I going to tell them about how I'm struggling? Am I going to tell them about my burdens? Am I going to tell them about my sin? Remember, the church is Jesus with skin on, and in a district, in a conference like that, I'm coming together with, with not just fellow pastors, but people who are Jesus to me. Is it really me that goes? Or is it somebody who gets gussied up and puts on a show and pretends that everything's going mostly okay? Because if we say it's all okay, they'll know we're lying. But if we say, well, it's hard, but we're okay, then they'll believe us and we can carry on with our lives. That's why I ask, is it really you? Or did you come here this morning and put on a mask? Now, I'm not at all, at all suggesting that you let it all hang out. There's a time and a place and, a, and people to do that with. But what is it that happens when we come to church and pretend, come to be with Jesus and pretend that everything's fine when it's not. Well, what's the result if we come to church with a deep sin hiding in our heart that no one, maybe no one knows about, and we keep hiding it in our hearts? 
Well, what happens in church when you come here and you've sinned against somebody else here and you haven't worked it out yet? And you kind of just try to bury that and forget about it and move on from that, but it's still there eating you up inside? What happens when you come to church with a mask on like that? Is that sometimes why we come to church in a room full of people and still feel very much alone? See, sin, this is what sin will do. It will drive you among the gravestones, separate you from the community, even with your, when you're with a whole bunch of people. It will separate you from people, drive you into a dark place in a cave so that you hide even from the people who can help you the most. That's why I keep on asking, we've come here to be with Jesus, but is it really you? See, this is the place where we can confess our sins and share our burdens. Let me tell you, give you two reasons why. One, did you know the people around you are just like you? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I, I, I'm trying to unpack this and I cut it out of the sermon, but I've got to share this little bit of it. In Life Together, he says, it's a wonder, he's talking about confessing sins to each other, he said, it's a wonder that Christians feel so much more comfortable confessing to a holy God than they do to each other. It's a strange idea, isn't it? That we're going to go to God with our sins, who's holy and mighty and powerful, whom we shouldn't touch with a 10-foot hole because of his holiness and our sin, but we're afraid to tell our fellow believers who are sinners just like us what we've done. You're sitting with people who are sinners and strugglers just like you. Yes, their sin may be different than yours, Yes, they may struggle and their burdens may be different than yours. But they are, they are exactly sin, just like yours. We, we sit together, we worship together, we gather together with people who are just like you. And secondly, in this place there is forgiveness and burden sharing. I want to teach you something and I hope we can learn this with each other more and more. When somebody confesses their sin to you, don't tell them it's okay. Because sin is never okay. And don't try to make excuses. When somebody confesses their sin to you, just tell them, in Jesus' name, I forgive you. Even if you're not ready to let it go, you're a work in progress just like they are. At the very least, you can tell them, God forgives you. In this place, this is the place where Jesus comes. And through us, he proclaims forgiveness of sins, life and salvation. And in this place, among these people, there is burden sharing. I don't know how, I'm just going to say it because I don't know how to say it otherwise. Everybody says, I'm not going to tell you my troubles because I don't want to be a burden. Can I tell you this? I'm going <laughs> to. I shouldn't ask permission if I'm going to do it anyway. We are supposed to carry each other's burdens. You are supposed to be a burden to me. I am supposed to be a burden to you. Galatians chapter 6, I think. Paul says, carry each other's burdens. Bear with each other. This is who we are. This is what we do as a body of Christ. We are here to forgive each other's sins in the name of Jesus and to carry each other's burdens. 
And if this is the case, then I ask you why, why do we put a mask on so often when we come to church? Let me tell you about my worst Sunday. Worst Easter ever. It's, it's, I still remember it in my mind. I can picture the room. I can see where it happened. It was the worst thing ever, for me at least, probably for the other guy. We had, we, there was stuff in the background. I won't tell you a story. And by the way, it didn't happen here, so you don't have to imagine. Well, who did it to you, Pastor? Didn't happen here, and I'm not going to share you names for the sake of the innocent. We got into it. He wanted me to do something that we had previously decided that I wasn't going to do. He wanted me to do it. He was stubborn and stiff-necked about it, and I said no. And he stormed out, and then the bells rang. What do you do? It's time for church. It's Easter. He's risen. That was the worst service ever. Because I was still upset at him. He was probably still upset at me, and we never worked it out, and he left the church. Sin drives us from each other. I, that's, why I, that's why I still remember it, because I'm still working to forgive. I probably ought to for, confess. It's a little hard when they're somewhere else, though. Let me tell you about my best Sunday ever. I don't really remember the details because we moved on. Same kind of situation. He came in and was upset at me for something, and I got upset with him, and then the bells rang. But that time, I didn't let him leave my office until we were done. Church can wait. I confessed my sin to him, and he forgave me, and we could go to church together as brothers in Christ. If we come in here with a mask on and hide our sins in our hearts and fail to confess them to each other and to our God, we will only have a wedge between us. But let me tell you what happens when we confess our sins and share each other's burdens. First, we sit with Jesus. Catch what this man experienced. Catch what he experienced. He sat with Jesus. Jesus is Savior and his friend. Jesus, the one who not just, did not just cast demons out of him, but surely also forgave his sin and restored him to a right relationship with God. The thing that separated him from society, the thing that separated him from God was removed, and this man was now with Jesus. See, when we come to each other to confess sins and share each other's burdens, we're sitting with Jesus because the church is Jesus with skin on. And secondly, we're dressed. That's what this man experienced, right? He's, he's, his shame of his nakedness is covered with clothes from Jesus. I want to know where he got these clothes so fast. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he also had a higher and deeper dress that you couldn't see. It was the glory of Christ that was now around him. It was a robe of righteousness that he now wore. And dear people of God, when we confess sins to each other, to our God, and come with our burdens, the church, Jesus, he clothes you. What do you think it is that happens at a baptism? You're given clothes to wear. 
righteousness to wear, glory to wear, that covers up all your shame. Baptism does not just remove guilt, it covers shame, removes shame so that you sit and stand before God and people dressed in Christ. And the other thing that happens, we get a new mind. This man sat before Jesus in a, with, with, with a right mind. By God's Spirit, you sit and live with each other with a new mind. A mind that's ruled by God's Word. A mind that's ruled by the Holy Spirit. Dear people of God, by His work, you have the mind of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. So this is my invitation. Instead of pushing Jesus and his church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, instead of keeping them at arm's distance, more and more draw near. We sang that in the opening hymn. Draw near to him. Draw near to each other. Come as beggars. After all, what do you really have to offer God? Nothing but sin. And what do you have to offer each other? Nothing but burdens. Oh, we have more to offer than burdens. We can help each other carry burdens. But come as beggars. Come together as sinful people who need the same thing from each other. Draw near and then give it. Let this be our prayer today. It's at the very bottom of the sheet. Lord Jesus, never go away from me. And this is his promise. I'll never go away, child. Amen? Amen. Now the God of peace grant you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Amen.